Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, uh, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're joining us if you're coming in through the Zoom app um, and also from the Facebook page. We hope you're uh, going to be able to give us some feedback. We're going to be having a very exciting program today. A question came in from a viewer that we'll be talking about in a minute. Uh, but before we do, before I bring in the panelists, I just want to say that we do get a lot of people at Broad, uh, download this as a podcast of the recordings, and it's audio only, as you know, if you're listening on a podcast. The thing I want to bring up is that today we're going to be doing a lot of slides. Scott's going to be showing us some graphics today. So on you on the podcast, in the podcast audience, we'll be able to see the slides. You'll be able to hear everything we're saying, and we do want you to be able to see the slides. So if you ever get an opportunity, go to BibleQuest.tv and click on the program for today's date, Tuesday the 25th, and you'll be able to see the whole program with the slides and all. So with that said, let me bring in the panelists. Um, Scott, I mentioned your name already. Scott, how you doing? You're down there in Gettysburg, PA. Yes, on another day with rain. Uh, it's raining out there. I know, I know. It is let up for a bit here, but it has been... Uh... We're almost ready to build arcs. <laughs> All right. Um, Stephen from Harrisburg, PA. Glad to have you here today. Good to be here, Drew. It's rainy up here too, but I, especially as a runner, am just grateful for the cooler temperatures right now. All right. All right. Yeah. And Jonathan, good to see you with us today. Jonathan is our webcast engineer. How you doing, Jonathan? Doing good. It's good to see you guys today. Good to see all of you. And um, okay, I already explained a little bit where the, if you have the Q&A box open coming in from the Zoom app, we want you to uh, give us feedback, type in some comments, questions about what we're talking about today or anything. It doesn't even have to be about what we're talking about today. We invite questions all the time uh, from, from the audience. We want to talk about things that's on your mind from the scriptures. And uh, obviously, you can do the uh, comments coming in from the Facebook if you're watching from Stephen's Facebook page. So with all of that said, guys, here's the question for today. This comes in from Mike. Can someone that truly accepted the Lord as their Savior lose their salvation? He says, some believe once saved, always saved. What's up with that? So that's what we'll be discussing today. Can a saved person leave the Lord and be lost? Or is that impossible? Once saved, always saved. Well, we're going to begin with a passage. Uh, those that say that a person cannot lose their salvation, that a saved person cannot become lost, the primary passage they will always turn to is where? I've heard a lot of people go to John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Right. So that's where we'll begin. And we'll look at that beautiful passage and we'll look at what it says. And then after we've seen what it says, we'll also talk about what it does not say. But first, let's focus on what it says. Beautiful passage, John chapter 10. Jesus had said, I am the good shepherd earlier in the chapter. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep because he doesn't care about them. He flees 
And so what happens when this hireling leaves his sheep? What happens to them? They're scattered. The wolf snatches them. Yeah, the, the wolf snatches them. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Then later in the chapter, he says this, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so what does this passage tell us? What beautiful promises here? Well, first of all, that's in John 10, 27 and 28. It's in your slide, but I just wanted to bring it up audio on the audio that it's... Oh, right. Thank you. That's right. Because I forgot. Not everybody's going to see the slides. Yeah. So we're in John chapter 10, 27 and 28. And the promise is eternal life. They will never perish. And can anybody snatch them out of his hand? No, no one can. No. Right. So there's that beautiful promise. Now, the next question is, who did he make this promise about? It says his sheep, my yeah. sheep. And how does he define his sheep? They're the ones that hear his voice and follow him. Okay. So what this passage tells us is that if we will hear his voice and follow him, we are being his sheep. And what do we have? Eternal life. And what will not happen to us? Never be snatched out of his hand. Never perish, and we will not be snatched out of his hand. So that's a beautiful promise to his sheep, to those that hear his voice and follow him. That's what's being discussed in John 10. Now, here's a, any comments on that before we go further? Oh, that's a beautiful promise to, to reflect on that uh, under the care of Jesus, uh, there are some pretty scary forces at work to, to try to get us to leave God. But as long as we're following the shepherd, there's nothing that can force us to leave. There's nothing that can uh, snatch us away. Uh, he won't let us be tempted beyond what we're able um, it's a, it's a comforting promise to think about that, that uh, if we're listening to the shepherd's voice. Uh, there's nothing that can, can, can get us. And of all the shepherds out there, he says he's the good shepherd. He lays right. his life down for his sheep. Right. And this is not the only passage that talks about this relationship between us and our Lord as shepherd. What are some other famous uh, shepherd passages about us and the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me lie down yeah. in green pastures. In Psalm 23. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? What else comes to mind? I'm drawing a blank. Also about like, Isaiah 53, where it talks about he was wounded for our transgressions and everything. You remember the point in that text where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each gone one of us is to his own way. To his own way. And Luke 15 what shepherd, if he has 99 sheep, who's he concerned about? The one that... That was lost. Yeah, that that wanders away, and he wants to go back and retrieve it and save it. And then there's rejoicing over the sinner that repents, and the shepherd says, you know, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was... Lost. Right, right. All right, so we're going to move from this promise of eternal life to sheep that hear his voice and follow him. And we're going to ask this question. What about sheep that stop 
following. What about a sheep that goes astray each to his own way? Well, James 1.14 says that when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth eternal life. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when it is full grown, brings forth death. The one that deserts the shepherd was not snatched away. He left. The shepherd protects the sheep from the wolf. But where does the sheep need to be if he wants to be protected from the wolf? He's got to be with the shepherd or in the fold. Yeah, he's yeah. got to be with the shepherd in the fold. Yeah, and that's, such a, bit, that's such an ahead. important distinction that you make there is, is, is that what Jesus is saying is no one will snatch them out of my hand. Right. So Jesus is not referring to an action of the sheep there. He's talking about an action of someone outside, a wolf, somebody else, um, that the shepherd's not going to be asleep on the job or running away. If the sheep is fleeing to the shepherd for help, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Is uh, the wolf ever going to overpower our good shepherd? No. No, it's impossible. So, um, but the distinction there is really helpful, is if a sheep wanders away, that's not violating Jesus' promise that no one will snatch them out of his hand. Right. If sheep wasn't snatched away, that sheep chose to leave. Right. And in Luke 15, which is not talking in the context there about Christians, uh, it's, it's the publicans and sinners uh, that have come to Jesus and the Pharisees don't like it. But notice there in the language, Jesus also uses the image there of a shepherd. And he says, you know, when the sheep has wandered away, the shepherd goes to find it and rescue it because it is lost. lost. Yeah, because it's lost. All right. So uh, if Jesus said in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So where is security? In fact, this, this is sometimes uh, worded in the, the, with the expression eternal security. Now, that's not directly a quote from Scripture, but if Jesus gives eternal life and there's security there, we might word it this way. Where is their eternal security? With the shepherd. With the shepherd hearing his voice and following him. Uh, any comment on that before we move forward? Uh, we do have a question here from Randy. Um, and we may take some time later in the show to get to this. Um, he talks about in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. In John's letter, he again uses the word in the beginning. Uh, my question is in John's gospel, I take it that he's talking about Jesus' deity. Now in 1 John 1, is he alluding to Jesus' humanity? Um, so we may uh, put that uh, on the list to answer a little bit later. But thank you for that question, Randy. Well, let's tell you what, while we're there, let's just deal with it real briefly since we've read the question, and, and then we'll jump back to this. So in John 1, there's both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus because it begins, and of course, uh, these texts both echo Genesis 1. John 1, when it begins with these words, in the beginning, should call to our mind what text? Genesis 1.1. Yeah. And then he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So there you've got divinity. But in verse 14, it says the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. So there's this humanity. Yeah, there's the humanity too. And then in 1 John, it's focusing actually, especially probably because the Gnostics, some of them were saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh. So in that which we've heard from the beginning, and he emphasizes we handled him, we touched him, he was really there in the flesh. Yeah, which is the fact that Jesus is God and man makes him the perfect shepherd for us. Yeah, yeah. So then he comes down here, he's our shepherd, he's a good shepherd, and if we want to serve him, we must follow him, John 12, 26. Let's compare that to the vine and the branches in John 15. If somebody can read there for us, John 15, uh, 1 through 6 on the screen. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Remain in me. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, thrown into the fire, and burned. And that's kind of a selected reading from John 15, 1 through 6. All right. So that is, is that branch saved at the end there? Uh, it's thrown in the fire and burned up. And yet, where had the branch been? I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch. Where? In me. In me that bears no fruit. We're supposed to bear fruit. Uh, you remember the master in the parable of the talents. He gives out five talents, two talents, one talent. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to bear fruit with that. And the fellow that doesn't is rejected. So if we compare these two images... They're both saying what 2 Chronicles 15, 2 said. The prophet uh, Oded said to King Asa, the Lord is with you while you are with him. And 2 Chronicles 15 goes on to say, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So when the sh sheep leaves the shepherd, when the branch is, is uh, uh, cut away, that's that's lost. Uh, it doesn't mean the Lord doesn't care about us. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us back. And so we see the good shepherd going after lost sheep, but they're still rejoicing because when the sheep comes back, there's rejoicing because the sheep that had been lost is found. And Luke describes it when the sinner comes to repentance. So there's the warning in Hebrews 3, take heed lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. Comments, thoughts so far? Well, right there, the, the, the scripture is saying that somebody can fall away, which is the opposite of the doctrine with the questions came from. Can anybody really fall away if they were? Exactly. And when we look at scripture, we see some very specific examples. Galatians 5, 2 Peter 2, and Hebrews 10 all describe saved people becoming lost. For example, we'll just kind of go through these briefly, and then afterwards, we'll go back and look at it again from the standpoint, what would somebody who believes in once saved, always saved, say about these passages? And if you're, if somebody in our audience believes that that is the message of the Bible, that the Bible is saying a saved person can't be lost, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear in particular your thoughts on the passages we're about to look at here. So Galatians 5, 4. Uh, let's set the context first. This is written to people that had been called in the grace of Christ, who had heard with faith. They'd been baptized into Christ. That's verses 1, 6, 3, 2, and 3, 27. 3, 2 said they had received the Spirit. 5, 7 said they'd been running well, but they had turned away to a different gospel, Galatians 1, 6. 
And so what is verse four? In fact, somebody just read from, I've just got the clip uh, here, but somebody has a Bible open to Galatians 5, 4, read that whole text for us there. Okay, I got it. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Okay. You have fallen away from grace. And he goes on there, he says in back in verse two, Christ will profit you nothing. They had re- this false gospel that they had received told them that they needed to go back and be circumcised, even though they're Gentiles, they couldn't be saved unless they were circumcised and followed the laws of Moses. You can see these same Judaizers message in Acts 15. Well, the Galatians had believed it and had fallen for that. And he said, if you do that, Christ will profit you nothing. Well, if Christ profits you nothing, you're severed from Christ, are you saved? No. No. Right. All right. Second Peter 2. It talks about, uh, in fact, somebody just read from the biblical text for us first, and then we'll review it on the screen. Somebody read for us Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. I've got that here. Second Peter 2, starting in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Okay, so here we have people that had escaped the defilements of the world. So they've been lost, but now they're what? They're saved. Cleansed. But if they go back, they're entangled again and overcome, the last state was worse than the first. Well, if they were originally lost and the last state is worse than that, this is not saved. And it compares it to a pig that had gotten cleaned up and then jumps back into the mud. Uh, One more, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. Somebody want to read that for us? Yeah, I've got that. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. So after they've received knowledge of the truth, they'd previously been lost, and then they've been sanctified, past tense, by the blood of the covenant. They're saved. If we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Instead, there's what? Fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. And it compared it to the law of Moses, you were put to death if you broke the law of Moses. How much worse punishment is do those who do what? Who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which they had been sanctified. 
So there we have three passages that very, very clearly show people that had been described the situation of people that had become saved, but then become lost. And so the word declares both life to those who follow Christ. Going back to John 10, my sheep do what? Hear me and follow me. And I give them what? Eternal life. life. And they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. The Bible promises that, but it also promises judgment to those who betray him. So Romans eleven twenty two, and as we read this from Romans, I want to point out kind of the importance of this. The two passages that people will usually go to are from John and Romans. They'll go to John 10 and Romans 8, and they'll say, see, you can't ever be lost once you're saved. Keep reading in both books. After John 10, you have John 15. If you won't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off and burned. And after Romans 8, Paul goes on to Romans 11 and says, somebody read that for us, please. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So, if we will hear the shepherd and follow him. (laughs) Yeah, but if we don't, then it's an entirely different picture. So now let's switch, unless we've got, do we have any audience comments or questions so far? Yeah, I was hoping that we'd have someone come in with some some questions on this. If anyone, please uh, join us on the Q&A or on Facebook, post your comments there. And if you've, if you've been taught once saved, always saved, we'd like to hear what, what you have to say about Galatians 5, 4 and 2 Peter 2 and Hebrews 10. Uh, and that's where we're going to be turning our attention next. So what do, if, if we had someone on, on the line here or on air, if we had a preacher from, uh, say, a Southern Baptist church uh, who teaches this, what would they say about the texts that we just looked at? Second Peter 2, Hebrews 10, Galatians 5. So let's go back and look at that because we've, we've had a number of converse, conversations on this. And you tend to hear the same answers over and over and over and over. So those are the answers we'll be looking at. What do people that believe in one saved always say, say about these three texts? So here's the first one. Second Peter 2. Remember, it talked about people that had escaped and been washed. And after they've escaped the promised world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if they're entangled again and overcome, the last state is worse with them than the first. What is the first argument that you will always hear from somebody that believes in one saved, always saved about this text. Something about the knowledge that that they know about God. Yeah. The thing I've heard sometimes is someone will say, well, they were never really saved. They, they had a knowledge of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that they were saved from their sins. Yeah. You know, here, here's a guy, and he, he's, he's having a heart attack, and he knows the number is 911, and he knows there's an ambulance, and he knows there's a hospital, but he decides not to go. Well, he knew about it, but he didn't avail himself to it. So the first argument is always this. They merely had a knowledge of Christ. They weren't actually saved. They knew about him, but they weren't really saved. You hear that over and over and over and over. And they'll point in this part of the text that they had a what? Knowledge. Knowledge. And it would better to have never known. 
And so they didn't have Jesus, they just had a knowledge about him. Well, we're going to answer that argument from the text. And the first thing we're going to notice is what does it say they've done through the knowledge? Well, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, they had done what? Escaped the defilements of the world. world. It doesn't say they knew about escape. It doesn't say they thought about escaping. It's in the past tense. What had they done? They had already escaped. Yeah, they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I've, I've had people say, well, yeah, they knew enough about the Bible that they were kind of turning from some of their sins, but still... They'd never been saved. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Scott, Scott, Scott. This verse says they were, that they escaped the defilements of the world. Yes. If that's yeah. not being saved, then what yeah, is it, that? Yeah, it's, it's sin that we need to be saved from. Matthew one twenty one. Uh, name him Jesus, for it is he that will save his people from their sins. This is describing people that have escaped. And this is not the only place in Second Peter where it uses this language. Where wait, else? Wait, wait a minute. Also in that very same verse, right after it says, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, they are again entangled. Yes. That if, if they'd never gotten untangled in the first place, you wouldn't say they're again entangled. This right. is after they've escaped if they go back and not just get tangled, but overcome. All right. Also, this same language about escaping through the knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, this is not the first time we've seen this language in Second Peter, is it? No, it's not. It appears again, or it appears the first time back in chapter 1. So in that text, it's the letter is written to those who have obtained, past tense, a faith of equal standing with ours. Uh, was Peter saved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he writing to saved people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To those who have obtained a faith with equal standing with ours. His divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge. Yeah. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted us his precious and very great promises, having escaped from the corruption of the world. So are you saying, are you saying that it's knowledge is actually doing that here? It's we have to know this is the knowledge of him and with him. This is not just a knowledge about, uh, you could know about something and not avail yourselves to it. But here in chapter one, it's not saying to those who heard about it but didn't do it. It says to those who have obtained a faith, equal standing of ours. How and how had they come to this? Through the knowledge of Christ. And so would you also then add to that, would you then add to that, Scott, that that knowledge then produced them to do something about the knowledge, not just to sit it with it academically in their minds? Yes, yes. This is not just economic. This is experiential. Uh, And since it's the same language, through the knowledge, through the knowledge, chapter one, chapter two, having escaped, having escaped, all right? If we're going to say that in chapter two, that language means not saved, then to be fair, what would you need to conclude about chapter one? Peter wasn't saved either then. 
yeah, this is just this is a ridiculous misrepresentation of the text. Uh, so did they just have a knowledge, not salvation? That is not what the text is saying. Second one-saved argument I've heard on this is that this can't be talking about real Christians because you wouldn't compare real Christians to a pig. <laughs> Response. <laughs> Well, well let's, let's look at let's look at the later in the, in the very next chapter. What's it going to compare Jesus to? A thief. Yeah, um, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. If we can buy this argument, chapter two can't be the fall of a real Christian. Since a true Christian would never be par- compared to a pig, should we say that chapter three is not talking about the return of the real Lord? Since the coming of the real Lord would never be compared to a thief. Jesus yeah. himself said. You know, Matthew 24, he'll come as a thief. So this is, again, uh, really uh, not fair with the text. Comments, thoughts before we move forward here? I'm glad you said that, not fair with the text, because that's what we're trying to do. And if people find that we're not being fair with the text, we want to hear from you, whether it be doing the program now through text or go to the website and type in your comments in the form. But I bring that up is because... uh, I want to make sure that we don't, because I believe that doctrine is starting with the doctrine first, locking in on that doctrine of once saved, always saved, and then trying to make the text fit their doctrine. There you go. There you go. In fact, look at 2 Peter 3, farther on down, and look what Peter says about this. Peter talks about that Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, verse 16, as in all of his epistles, speaking of, the, of these things, wherein are some things hard to be understood. And he said there's two types of people that twist Scripture. Verse 16, what are the two types of people that twist Scripture? Mine has ignorant and unstable. Yeah. Okay, so let's think about how might an ignorant person um, twist Scripture. Well, suppose I pick up the Gospel of John, and I read up to chapter 10, but I stop there. So in chapter 3, verse 16, I read that God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes on him will not perish. I think, great. Now I get to chapter 10, and it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. <laughs> and then I close it, and I say, I'm done. Well, now I'm I'm ignorant of the rest of the Gospel of John. I'm yeah. learned. Yeah, part of the knowledge, but not enough to get the full picture. Right. If I'd kept reading, I might have got to chapter twelve, where it said many of the leaders of the Jews believed on him, but wouldn't confess it because they feared they they loved the glory of men more than the uh, more than God. Were those people saved? No. Nope. No. And if I'd read on, I'd see if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If I'd read on, I might see he'll help us bear fruit, but if we will not bear fruit, he will cut us off. Uh, So you got to keep reading. If you're unlearned, you're not going to get it. What's the other expression? Unstable. So if, if you have one foot on the Bible and one foot on your denominational system, are you on equal footing? No. No. 
And what Drew said a while ago is a very accurate picture of what it's easy for us to do as humans. We get our creedal position, our denominational position, what we were taught at seminary or what our pastor taught us or what our grandmother taught us. And that's what we're going to hold on to. And then we find a Bible verse that says the opposite. The temptation is to do what with that Bible verse? Twist it to make it fit my doctrine. Whereas the actual approach should be what? Have a wake-up call and say something's not right here. Yeah, change our doctrine to fit the scripture. You know, there's a big difference between reading the Bible and twisting it to make it fit my preconceptions and reading the Bible and changing my preconceptions to make it fit the scripture. Huge difference in those two things. There's a there's a scripture, and I can't remember, but Merton always went to that, talked about where the heart is the most deceitful thing. So yeah, we can lie to ourselves. Jeremiah. That's it, Jeremiah. And we lie to ourselves and we believe the lie. Well, and, and, and Paul in, in writes to the Corinthians, and he says, do not be deceived. And he's writing to Christians, neither fornicators, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, homosexuals, covetous, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. But now, after they've been washed and sanctified, he's warning them, don't be deceived. If you do these things, you won't be. In fact, look at, let's look at that in Ephesians 5. Somebody read for us, please, Ephesians chapter 5. By the way, while we're turning over there, that verse you were referring to, Drew, is Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Thank you, Stephen. Ephesians 5. Yeah, Ephesians 5. And and, and this is really important here. Is this written to believers, to Christians? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And let's start with verse 3 and read it with the thought in mind of this question uh, about can a person become lost? Because, and, and let's do say this, there are people that believe that in once saved, always saved, and they truly try to live a good moral life. There are also people who believe this and have been taught it, and they jump to the available conclusion. Hey, I'm just going to keep doing this stuff. Well, this is what Paul says. Galatians, excuse me, Ephesians 5.3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as becometh what? Proper among the saints. Saints. Nor filthiness, nor foolish talking, or jesting, which are not befitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know of a surety, that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. So appropriate for this topic. Let no man deceive you with empty words. For because of these things cometh wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. You were once in darkness, now you are light of the Lord, walk as children of light. So if you're going to a church and the preacher is telling you, well, once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. If, you, if you're living in adultery, well, you'll have less jewels in your crown, but you're saved. If you're being a drunkard, you won't have as nice of a mansion, but you're saved. The text says, don't let somebody deceive you with empty words. Those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom. But Scott, I heard someone say uh, that, I don't know if you said it already in this presentation today, but th- someone said something to the effect that, well, 
that person was really never really saved to begin with. Well, that's, that's arguments that being made on these first two things that we've just looked at. They say that in Galatians 5, oh, they were uh, never saved. Uh, well, Second Peter 2, excuse me, I guess we've just looked at uh, um, the one we just looked at. And that's the argument they say. They'll say they were never saved. But we just looked and we saw, no, they were. Because what did the text say? They had escaped through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. And it is like a pig that had washed to returning into the mire. And let's look at another one along that line, Hebrews 10. So remember when we looked at this before, it described people who after receiving the knowledge of truth, after having been sanctified by the blood of the covenant, if we go on sinning deliberately, trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, there no longer remains sacrifice for sins, but a certain, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire deserved by the one who trampled underfoot the Son of God. That's, Can you repeat that verse again? That yeah, that's, all of those are excerpts from Hebrews 10, verse 26 through 31. And let's look at what somebody who believes in once saved, always saved, is going to say about this text. We've heard it over and over. Uh, when you presented this passage to a person that believes in once saved, always saved, what do they always say about it? Many times they will say, well, this person wasn't really saved in the first place. Yeah, these were hypocrites. They weren't really saved. They might look like they, and often they'll phrase it this way. You've seen people like that. People thought they were saved and they weren't. Well, yeah, there can be people like that, but that doesn't mean that's who this passage is talking about. We've got to see who this passage is talking about. And um, the argument will be they only had a knowledge. They merely received a knowledge. Same argument they make in Second Peter 2. They were never saved. And see, they'll point to the text there that it says they'd received a knowledge of the truth. Well, that didn't hold up in Second Peter. Let's see if it holds up here. Answering it from the text, it goes on to talk about those that have received the knowledge of the truth. If they then turn away and go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Dropping down, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has done what? They have trampled underfoot the Son of God. And? Profaned the blood. By which he? He was sanctified. Yeah, he had been sanctified, past tense. He's trampling underfoot the Son of God and profaning the blood by which he had been sanctified. So this is not just somebody that merely had knowledge. It's somebody that had been sanctified by the blood of Christ. And so we use this verse to, to dismiss it, saying, well, he only had the knowledge of the truth. This verse is actually saying, yeah, this, this fellow here has the knowledge of the truth, but he was sanctified. Yeah, this thing about the word no, there are passages that might talk about somebody knowing something and not doing it. But like Jesus said to the apostles, you know the way. And Tom said, we don't know the way. He said, I am the way, the truth. You don't point to the word there, no, and say, oh, that means none of the apostles were saved. <laughs> you can't just throw away the context because the word knowledge is in it. You can have an empty, pointless knowledge, but you can also, as we saw in Second Peter 1, through the knowledge of Christ, um, 
have that relationship. And here's something else. At the end of this text, it says, in the warning, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Yeah, his people. Um, so if his people turn away and walk willful in sin and continually so, refusing to repent, there's no more sacrifice for sin. They have profaned the blood by which they have been sanctified. So this is not mere knowledge. This is one that had been sanctified by the blood. And lastly, let's look at Galatians 5. Uh, after describing these people and then saying you've severed from Christ, you've fallen away from grace, again, the answer is always uh, by those that believe in once they've always saved. They'll look at chapter 5, verse 4, and they'll say, as usual, well, these people were never saved in the first place. Is there a textual problem with that argument? Well, in order to be severed from something, you have to be connected to it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you have to be severed. Uh, you have to have been a part of it to be severed. That's right. And if we just go back and look, said, saying they were never saved in the first place, if we just go back and look through the text, look at all these different things. He wrote it to the churches of Galatia, and he's astonished that they had so quickly deserted him who called them in what? The grace of Christ. Yeah, they had been called in the grace of Christ, and they had received the Holy Spirit. Because he says, oh, foolish Galatians, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing of faith? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? So when they had put their trust in Christ and become Christians, they'd received the Holy Spirit. Later, the Judaizers come along and circumcise him. And Paul's saying, hey, stop and remember, when did you get the Holy Spirit? Which shows us that they'd received the Spirit. Uh, and then he says, he talks about in faith, uh, they had uh, made sons of God, as many of you were baptized in Christ, Christ. But now that you have come to know God and be known by God, how can you turn back again? For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm. Do not submit again to yoke of slavery. I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's not saying you were never saved. They'd been called in the grace of Christ. They'd been baptized into Christ. They had received the Holy Spirit. They had been doing well. And then they went away from the shepherd. Stephen. We've had uh, three comments here. Now we're about out of time, but I wanted to make sure to get to these real quick. Uh, one that had come in from Randy earlier says, I know a Baptist gentleman who argues that 1 John 1, 7 is the basis for once saved, always saved. But your reading of Ephesians 5, 3 through 7, puts an end to this gentleman's argument. And that passage in 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And of course, another thing I'd point out there is it's talking about a decision that we make to walk in the light, yeah. Or to walk in darkness. And just a couple of verses before that, in verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with them, while well, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we walk away from the shepherd and are walking in darkness, well, we're not forgiven of our sins at that point. Uh, that, yeah. uh, that We have to walk in the light to be cleansed from our sins. Uh, we had another 
comment come in? Let's uh, real quick read also verse nine there. After saying, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so that's where we need to be walking. If walking with the shepherd, then he will cleanse us from our sin. It's not that we're going to say, oh, I never ever sin. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. There's a big difference between being confessing our sins and repenting and walking with him in the light and willfully continuing sin. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Cassandra commented here and said, but unfortunately the teachings from denominations will say the same thing when someone in their church sins, oh, they weren't really saved. Yeah. That they are, but they also have not obeyed the gospel of Christ and said, follow the denominational doctrines cut from the yes. bottom. Um, yeah. And, uh, Tim had commented, uh, it's always a challenge to balance the consequences of walking away from God with the needed confidence in our ongoing relationship with God through Christ. And I think that's a helpful reminder as we talk about this. I mean, I think very clearly from what we've looked at, yes, it is possible for a Christian to fall from grace. It is possible for a saved person to walk away from the good shepherd and to lose their salvation. That's not God's fault. That's the sinner's fault for walking away from the Savior, from the shepherd. But at the same time, we shouldn't live in a constant state of paranoia. Um, We should be walking in the light, and we should be confessing our sins. And as we confess our sins, um, it's not based on us living a perfect life, but we confess our sins, and then he's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we keep hearing the shepherd's voice, if we keep following the shepherd. It's not saying that we never stumble, but if we continue to press closely to Jesus, our good shepherd, then no one will be able to snatch us out of his hand. Eternal life is not earned by living perfect lives. We, we blew that a long time ago. We need God's grace. When we sin, we need to repent. We need to confess. We need to walk with him. We need to walk with our shepherd. If we see that we're straying away from our shepherd, what does a smart sheep do? He, he, he Catch up. <laughs> follow the shepherd. Follow, that's where the safety is. And Jesus died for all types of sinners. He died for murderers, drug dealers, prostitutes, child molesters. But he didn't die for them so that they can keep murdering, prostituting, and child molesting all the way to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. And it sounds like since Paul and Peter has been, they wrote so much about this, that they were facing the same error of doctrine being taught in the first century that we're seeing today. I don't know that it was formalized, um, but there have always been people that will try to excuse sin. Right. Um, when Adam and Eve sin and God says, did you do it? What did they immediately do? They blame someone yeah. else. The woman that you gave me. Yes. When Samuel approaches Saul, what does Saul do? He tries to Aaron, uh, the golden cat. He, he makes excuses and stuff. And we see in the New Testament, there were people like Jezebel in the church of Thyatira, who was encouraging people to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. Their reasoning, it doesn't say they taught once saved, always saved, but it said that they were accustomed to saying, we know the deep things of Satan. You know, we don't need to know. (laughs) Paul says in Romans, I want you to be wise about righteousness. 
simple about evil. It's not our job to plunge into evil. I don't, I don't need to become a heroin addict to find out that heroin's a bad idea. And uh, God's calling out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I don't think that in the first century there were so much proponents of, of once saved, always saved in title like that, perhaps. But there's always been people that have wanted to think, well, God's going to accept me even though I'm not obeying. And Hebrews 5.9 says that he is the source of salvation to those that obey him. Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount ends with the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man heard and did what? Didn't, Didn't obey. Wise man hears and does it. Obeys. Okay, guys, we have run out of time. And uh, again, once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're coming in live or you've come in through the recorded podcast. If you've come in through the podcast, you didn't see all the slides that we had up, I encourage you to go to BibleQuest.tv and click on the link there and watch the whole program with the related uh, slides, which puts a lot of context together. Guys, anything else before we sign off? It was very good. What, what uh, the slides are also available in a shorter form at uh, 3MinuteBibleStudy.com and on the YouTube channel, 3 Minute Bible Study. Oh, great. Thanks for that plug. And uh, guys, I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you.